when I was um, visiting Dave on Tuesday, this is he, had, he was in the emergency room still, and uh, I went to the. If you've been in the emergency room at Fayette Piedmont, there's it's a busy place, and it's just really gotten busy over the last few years. But there's a security guard who sits at the door before you go back into the emergency room, and I I just went straight to him, and I asked if I could see David Huther, and he asked if I knew the room number. I didn't, so he found it and gave me the number, asked me if I knew where to find that room, and I said, I really didn't. They've made so many changes there. And so he said, I'll take you back there. So he escorted me back there, and he explained as we were walking, there was only one visitor at a time, visitor at a time in the room, but if it was just a short five-minute visit, he thought that Alma was, that Dave's wife was there. He thought that, um, he said I could, I could join in if it's just a short visit. So I told him, I wasn't family, I wouldn't be staying long, I'm his pastor, and it'd just be a short visit. And when I said I'm his pastor, he turned to me, and looked directly at me in utter shock. <laughs> and he said, and I'm not making this up, these were his words, I would never have pegged you, pegged you as a pastor. I would have guessed skydiving instructor or something. <laughs> skydiving instructor. I have no idea what to make of that comment. Why he... <laughs> made that evaluation of me. I don't know if it was my windswept hair or what, but uh, skydiving instructor, that was the first. I laughed out loud, and I told him, I said, I cannot wait to tell my wife and kids about this. I did not think I'd be telling you, but I, there's a point. <laughs> we, can, we can have some seriously wrong ideas about people simply by looking at them, as this guy did. Um, we can make wrong assumptions about people, uh, how they look, how they seem to be acting. Well, as we get into John 4, Jesus' public ministry is, is really getting up and, and going now, and, and it has been now for some time. And many, many people, though, who saw Jesus, they made these snap judgments about him, and they were really way off the mark. Um, many who saw Jesus didn't really see him. They didn't see him as he really is. They didn't see him rightly. And so in our text this morning, many, many people see Jesus as this popular, um, celebrity-like, entertaining miracle worker. That's the Jesus that they see and that they are looking for. But there's one man in our story and then his household along with him who, who comes to truly see Christ as he really is. The Son of God. And He believes. And He receives life. And so that's the, the series that we're going through, through the Gospel of John. And, and we are moving. Don't, don't uh, be assured of that. And we'll continue to move forward. But the, the, the three words that I think capture this, this, this book of John is see, believe, and live. See, believe, and live. And we have the logo. I, you know, I drew attention to this once before and I took flack for it. And I know a logo doesn't need explanation, but you see all of those components in this. The glasses, see, you have believe, and then in focus, live. This is, this is, this is a great image to remind us and keep before us what John is about. John writes very purposefully, and we've mentioned this and reminded ourselves of this purpose over and over again, but he, he doesn't leave us guessing why he's written these 21 chapters. He, he doesn't, 
at all. He leaves the key, as we said, under the under the mat at the back door. And, and it's the key that unlocks the whole book for us and see what's inside. And so it's in the at the very end of the book, John 20, verse 30, 31. The words are on the screen. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And he said, if I had written everything, the whole world couldn't contain all that there was to say. Verse 31, but these, these ones, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so John records these seven signs that make up kind of the backbone of, of this gospel account. And, 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 and a sign, as if you remember we said, it's a miracle, but it's a miracle of a particular kind. It's not just any old miracle. It, it's a miracle that, that is designed to point to Christ in a very clear way. It's to make a connection between those who see the sign, those who even receive the benefit of it, to connect them in a unique way to, to Christ. They see who Jesus really is, that they believe in Him, have life in His name. That's what the signs are for, to direct us to see Jesus, to really see Him. And seeing Him, again, that we believe and have life. And so, so the reason we need to see is because we need to believe. And that word believe, that's a dominant Dominant word in the Gospel of John, used more in John than it is in in all of the other the other three Gospel accounts combined. Some almost a hundred times, I think ninety eight to be exact. This word "believe" is in John. It's essential to the purpose of the book. Believing in Jesus is how we receive eternal life. We become children of God. I quoted this in prayer, John one twelve. We become children of God by faith, by believing in Jesus' name. What we see in John is that all faith isn't equal. There is some faith that saves and some, quote, faith that does not. And so what makes the difference? As we'll see, and we'll see it this morning, it's not the degree of faith that's the issue. It's not that it's not, I really, 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 really believe and I've got to show that. That's not it. It's not the subjective quality of faith. It's, I really mean it. No, it's, what is the difference between true faith and counterfeit faith is, is the object of faith. That's what makes the difference. And so that security guard could believe strongly in me that I am a skydiving instructor. And he could, he could hire a plane and tether himself to me and push me out of a plane, and we would both die. And so his, his faith, it wasn't inadequate in the quality or the degree, but it was inadequate in its object. He, he did not believe the truth about me. He, he, he thought he, he was believing in a, in a lie. And so it's not enough, I would say, then to believe in Jesus if you're believing in a skydiving instructor version of Jesus. The, J, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I, we had some, and if you're here, we're glad you're here. I'm not, this is not insulting. I'm not trying to be, but they, there were a couple that stopped um, by my house yesterday, and I, and I am embarrassed to say that I really didn't engage them. Um, I have before, and so I'm, this is not where I'm the hero of this story. But I, I would just say they were just offering literature. They really weren't looking to talk anyway, but uh, they, they would say they believe in Jesus. I believe strongly. You've, you've spoken with them. They, they talk much about their faith in Jesus. 
Muslims say they believe in Jesus, and they do. Mormons believe in Jesus. And you can go to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and hear them sing of Christ and their faith in Jesus and many of the same songs we sing. But the, but the problem is not the degree of their faith. It's not the quality of the faith. It's that, they, it's that they've assumed wrong things about Jesus. The object of their faith is corrupted, so their faith does not save. So this is a, this is a passage. This is a sign that is instructive. It's, it, it accomplishes its purpose, and it, it also instructs us about faith in Christ. And so what does it teach us about faith? Four statements this morning. That we'll see as we walk through. The first one is this. Is that faith in Christ can be counterfeited. And I've already alluded to this. Faith in Christ can be counterfeited. Verse, verses 43 to 45 have caused no shortage of confusion for some Bible readers and, and Bible students. And it may have for you if you've read ahead and trying to, trying to make sense of these first few verses. Jesus, or excuse me, John is telling us about the motives of Jesus in going to Galilee. So verse 43. John 4, verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, Jesus' home region. For, verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So, Jesus is moving from Judea. And, and, and he, and this is where he was, he was becoming very popular and something he really didn't want. And in fact, the religious leaders, and they were saying, you know, you're becoming more popular than John the Baptist. And so Jesus says, it's time to go. And so he goes home to Galilee. And he's going there, he's going home for, or because, that's a word, that's a little particle there, it's showing purpose. This is the purpose of going. Because a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I think that, that is strange reasoning. So, to intentionally go where you're not welcomed and honored. But it's even stranger. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So Jesus goes there because he's not honored. And then when he gets there, he's welcomed. And so how do, how do we make sense of these verses? How do we reconcile them? There's been a lot of ink trying to spill, trying to explain uh, what seems to be this difficulty here. I don't think it's really that much of a difficulty, but I, I read up to ten possible solutions to this, uh, quote, problem in, in John. And some think that uh, he's talking about a different home, so maybe he's just talking about Nazareth, which was a part of Galilee, but not the whole region, or that he's talking about Judea, and so as where he was born in Bethlehem, and that's the home that he's talking about, so he's going to Galilee instead. To me, I think I think it... Most tend to overthink this. I think the context makes it fairly clear what, 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 what the point of this is. And here it is, is that there was this superficial reception of Jesus at Galilee. The people had, verse 45, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So remember after the cleansing of the temple, Jesus stayed and he performed many miracles there in Jerusalem. And so some of these Galileans were there in Jerusalem and, and observed these things. They saw it with their own eyes. This, this guy from their own neck of the woods and from Galilee, he's there. He's putting on this quite a show for the people in this very public way. And it's, 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 it's amazing signs right in the big city in Jerusalem, in the capital. This is their hometown hero. And so, when Jesus shows back up in Galilee, they're excited. Now, this is our guy. This, this, 
carpenter's son turned big shot celebrity miracle worker. So they receive him and they welcome Jesus back to Galilee. But they don't truly honor him. As we'll see. And I think John is preparing us already for what he will say in verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So in other words, the welcome of the Galileans isn't really that profound. They're not, interest, they're not interested in Jesus as their Messiah. They're interested in Jesus for the entertainment value that comes with him. They're interested in the fringe benefits that they receive from being around him. The wine that this is again in We'll see in Cana, water was turned into wine. They're interested in the healing and those benefits. But the welcome isn't the result of hearts that have been transformed by God. They love miracles, but but they've not yet been connected to Jesus through these signs. So their belief in Jesus is counterfeit. Because why? Because it was placed in the wrong object. They, 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 they believed in a Jesus of their own making. This magic man Jesus. This miracle working Jesus. That's why he existed. So they, they made Jesus out to be something he was not. This traveling celebrity um, miracle worker. So their faith and the welcome of Jesus is a sham. There were what we would call sign faith believers. We saw this in John chapter 2. Many observed the signs and believed in Jesus' name. Those are true believers. We'll see at the end of this chapter, this man, this official, believes in Jesus when he sees this sign that Jesus performs in healing his son. These people aren't that, though. These These are unbelievers who are simply fascinated by miracles and signs. And I'll illustrate this at the end of our time this morning. Uh, so just stick a mental sticky note there and we'll come back to that. But I would just ask you, what, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about him? Is your faith in Jesus real or is it counterfeit? And how do we determine that again? It's by the object of our faith. What, what do you believe about Christ? How do, Maybe you strongly believe in Jesus. You believe that he is... He is the, he's a scale watcher and he looks at the lives of all people and he sees their deeds, their good deeds and their bad deeds. And he's watching them and weighing and seeing if they're going to, if they have more good than bad. And if the end, if he can, if they'll make it to heaven, that's the Jesus you believe in. Well, you, you may believe strongly in that. There are many religions that that's there, that, that's that there, that's their view of Jesus. But, but if you do believe that your faith is counterfeit. Because that's not what Christ, as, you, as, you, as he's revealed himself in Scripture. Or maybe you firmly believe that Jesus is simply a moral example. I mean, you may think he's a, a true historical figure. You may think he's the product of religious fiction. Um, but, but either way, you, 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 you think that we should pattern our lives after him. And that's something, that's why you're here this morning, maybe. So you, you know it's good to be in church. You want your kids to, to be exposed to this about this man Jesus and the story of Jesus because it's a great moral example. You, you might believe that strongly, but if, if that's all you believe, then and again, your faith is counterfeit. I say this as graciously as I can, uh, but you need to understand that. And on the other hand, you may be here and you have the tiniest flicker of faith in the Lord Jesus as the only Son of God. As, as, as your Savior. 
as the only one who can save you from your sins. And you're at the end of your rope and you have no place to turn but Jesus. Now that little tiny flicker of faith looks like nothing in the eyes of the world. And it seems, and and others may be unimpressed by that. But that is enough. Because it's in the right object. It's in the right object. It's a real thing. It's placed in the real Christ. So, just say, faith in Christ, it can be counterfeited. That's the first point. Second thing we see about faith in Christ is that it's often born out of crisis. It's often born out of crisis. John shifts the focus from the crowds to this one man. That's where the attention is going to be. And there will be an exception in verse 48, as we've already seen. So, verse 46. So, he, Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official who was, whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So here's the picture. You have Capernaum, which is some 20 miles, I say up here, Capernaum down here, down below sea level. And you have Cana, which is uphill, 20 miles from uh, from. Uh, Capernaum, And so this official makes this 20-mile uphill, uphill journey to Cana. This official, this government official, it's uh, basilikos is the Greek word. It just literally means man of the king. He's a man of the king. And his boss is probably Herod Antipas, who, which, which was the, um, the tetrarch or the king of Galilee. And so he works for this guy. So it means he has wealth. He probably has influence and community and has, uh, he's, a, he's a man that's, that's notable. And so he probably didn't have to walk these 18, 20 miles. He probably had a horse that he could ride that distance and make the journey quicker. But he's in this terrible situation. It's not, he's not in a terrible situation as an official. He's in a terrible situation as a dad. His son is dying. And right now, all his money and whatever power and influence he has, it means nothing to him. He doesn't care at all. Because his child is sick. And if you're a parent here, you know that sick children take precedence over everything else when you're a parent. Verse 47 continues. And he went to him, Jesus, and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this desperate dad makes his last ditch effort, travels to Cana to see Jesus, and, and he's trying to save his son's life. He sees Jesus as his only and last and only hope. So he goes and he pleads with him. And I, I think the language, in, as I read it, is, is really insufficient to, to communicate the intensity of this scene. The, the verb is in the imperfect tense. It, it's that he went and he, he began imploring Jesus and he kept going on and on and on asking, begging Jesus to come and to heal his son. <coughs> Not there kind of asking simply and politely for medical advice or, or even for healing. He's just he's imploring, begging Jesus desperately for help. My son is dying. There's only hope And so then what we find is that Jesus gives a kind of strange and almost seemingly rude response to this distraught father. But Jesus, what is he doing? He sees that this man's appeal for help and 
healing his son, it's symptomatic of a deeper problem that he sees in this man and in the people. And that's what we'll see. So don't, as, as we read this next verse, verse 48, don't picture Jesus with some stern look and he's kind of hostile tone of voice. That's not what you have. I think, I think this is more of Jesus giving this mild rebuke with grief. He says, so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus said to him, singular, so we expect when he says, unless you, that to be singular, but it's not. I know you can't tell in the English unless you're reading a Texas version of the Bible. Um, but it's you, plural, it's y'all. He says to him, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So he's not just rebuking the royal official, he's rebuking people, others around him. And so what probably happened is, as this guy, again, he hightailed it from Capernaum to Cana, and he comes into town, his son is dying, he knows there's not much time left, and so he just rushes into town, beating on doors, he, he, he's heard that Jesus is there, and he's knocking on doors, do you know where Jesus is, running through the market, does anybody know where Jesus is? So, so probably this crowd of miracle-loving people starts gathering around him, and going with him, and taking him to Jesus, so there's this crowd of people that's probably formed, they're ready to be wowed again by this Miracle worker. And and so Jesus says to them, really, unless, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now this it's interesting because it seems that Jesus' rebuke here, it kind of cuts two ways. Because this man will see a sign and he will believe. But these crowds have seen many signs and wonders already and they still don't truly believe in Jesus. But this man of the king, he, he, he doesn't, he responds to that rebuke and he receives it. He doesn't protest. He's guilty and he knows it. That's exactly why he's there. But what does he care? His boy is dying. That's all that matters to him right now. That is all. And he's in the middle of a crisis and he's desperate. So he simply begs again, verse 49, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's thinking one thing. Where there's life, there's still hope. He believes that Jesus can heal his son, but he does not believe that Jesus would have the power to raise him from the dead. There's urgency. You've got to act fast. I mean, of course he wouldn't believe this. He, Christ hasn't raised anybody, anybody from the dead. So it's just this desperation. And if he can just convince Jesus to make the journey with him to Capernaum, to go and to be at his son's side, that Jesus can heal him. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, I will go with you. No. He says, go. Your son will live. That's what the man wanted. He wanted, he wanted his son to live. He was in the midst of the greatest crisis of his life, probably. Absolutely desperate. And Jesus says, your son will live. I just, my point is this, is that faith in Christ is oftentimes born out of crisis. God often 
brings suffering into our lives. He brings suffering into our lives that is ability that is beyond our ability to handle. We come to the end of ourselves. We we've become desperate. We have no place to turn but to Christ and to trust in Him alone. And that's where this man was. I don't think he would have traveled the twenty mile distance and and had come falling at Jesus' feet, begging for him to do something if his son had athlete's foot. He's dying. He's dying. It's this awful crisis. He's at, at the point of he, he's helpless. He's hopeless apart from Christ's help. This is God's grace to bring him to this point. Mark two seventeen. Jesus said of his why he came. What what his mission was. He says those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He didn't come to call people who have their act together and everything's just going going well in life, living the good life. And he didn't come to just kind of invite the 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 movers and shakers and the people that have their act together. He didn't come invite them to join his party. You know, he came for those who are hurting and those who know they're hurting and those who admit they're hurting and those who need help and know it. I just say, are you are you hurting this morning? Are you? Are you sin sick, just eaten up, and you don't know how to, you don't know where to turn with guilt? Do you feel helpless? Maybe some circumstance, some crisis in your life. You feel like you can't go on. I just say that that could be the, the gracious hand of God drawing you to Himself to find mercy and grace in your time of need. God may be graciously compelling you through that crisis to, to, to place your faith in Him. To trust Him. So take Him at His word. Come to Him. He is the answer to every need that you have in your life. And He wants us to see that. And so He'll do whatever it takes so that we do. And so, back to the story. Jesus gave the desperate man what He wanted. His son is healed that's the miracle. But, but what I want you to see is how this happened. Because how it happened is very important. John does not want us to miss this. And so he records it for us in detail. And it brings us to the third thing about faith in Christ. Is that faith in Christ grows confident and is confirmed over time. Grows confident and is confirmed over time. So the man's crisis faith seems to grow more confident just right as he's pleading with Jesus. In the moment, in this struggle with Christ, and as Jesus speaks to him. So, Jesus tells him to go home, which I think is a surprise to this man. Go. This, this man of the king, he's made two requests. One is, come to Capernaum with me. Two, do something, heal my son, save his life. Jesus grants him the second request, but denies him the first. He doesn't go. He he heals him from a distance. and And, and it shows that this man initially thought that Jesus needed to be spatially present with his son in order to do anything about his son's condition. That he, And what Jesus is doing, he's showing, I have authority over distance. This is not a problem. There all, all the territory, all, all I have domain over all territory. It's all mine. There, there's no, there's, that's not a problem. So, so space isn't an issue. I just, there's great application for us, I think, today, is that Jesus is no less present right now 
with us than he was with the disciples and with this man from Capernaum. He's just as present. He's as present with you on your commute to work tomorrow or when you're taking your kids to school or students when you're sitting in class tomorrow. He's just as present with you as he was with the disciples in the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. He's with you. Jesus said, I behold, lo, get this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us by the Holy Spirit and he and he's present. And so I just say distance is never an issue with the Lord. He is able to work. He's able to act. He's able to meet needs. He's able to come through. So he, But he challenges this man. He challenges him to believe his word. He says, go home. And why would Jesus, if he's going to heal the boy, why heal him like this? Did Jesus have a full full agenda that day? He got lots on the counter. He had a lunch commitment. He couldn't skip out on that. So, you know, I can't go. So I'm just going to. Just going to send you back and I'll just heal him from here. Was that it? Were his legs tired? Just didn't want to make the journey and had to get back again. And it's a lot of travel. Why does he, why does he heal him in this way? Let me just propose a couple of reasons. One, I've kind of already mentioned to show his power, his authority to, to distance is not an issue. Another one, I, I mean, is most obviously that, that Jesus is performing this sign to, for an intended purpose. It's by design, and, 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 he, and it, particularly as it relates to this official. He wants to show this man who he is so that he can see him and believe in him and have life in his name. That's the purpose of signs. And then third, Jesus doesn't want to cause a stir in Galilee. This is why he left Judea. Because all of the hysteria that was following him and all of the commotion around him. If Jesus went to Capernaum with his father, said, oh, yes, I'll heal your son, let's go. What would have happened? Or his crowd would have followed him. These miracle-loving people would have gone and wanted to see this. And then they would have told other people about it. And you would have had, again, this mass hysteria set in there in Galilee around Christ. And Jesus doesn't want that kind of attention right now. His time has not yet come. So he does it this way. And so between the rebuke of the crowd and between the way that he instructs the dad, the crowd seems to just disperse. Nothing to see here. They're, they're, they're not looking to Jesus as their Messiah. They simply want to be, they simply want to show. And Jesus won't do a trick for them, so they, they go home. Why, why, why stick around? Nothing's, nothing's going to happen here. Nothing sensational. And he's probably just telling his dad, this dad this, just to kind of get him to leave. So nothing's going to go on. So they disperse. Sign seekers go away disappointed and probably a little bit angry. And they just go on. And the father is left then to respond to Jesus' word. And this is a dramatic moment in the Gospels. I just think of this scene and put myself in, just as a, as a fly on the wall watching this scene. His dad is distraught over his dying son. Jesus says, go, your son lives. What will he do? Will he take Jesus at his word and leave? Will he stay, continue to plead with Jesus, to go with him, to argue with him? It's got to be this way. I'm not leaving without you. How does he respond? Verse 50, end of verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. No begging. No groveling. And I, I, don't, I don't know if he really understood 
I don't think that he probably understood exactly what Jesus meant by those words. But he trusted him. He trusted him. And, and I imagine that was a quiet and sober moment. As this official gathered his things, gathered his composure, eventually gets up, walks out, heads for home. Mind just racing with all of the possibilities about what what's coming and what's just transpired, and and again he leaves having nothing to prove that his son has been healed. No no hocus pocus, no little you know kind of down payment. Let me do a little miracle, do something just to show you that I mean it. Nothing, just a word. It says go, your son lives, and he believes. And the proof doesn't come till the next day that his son is actually healed. We'll see in verse 52 that, 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 that the, the hour that Jesus said is to, to go and that your son lives was one o'clock in the afternoon. It's if we're counting time by Jewish time, which I think probably is. So seventh hour, one p.m. And, and so he's got almost 20 miles to go to get home. Again, he's probably on horseback, but he doesn't race home. He could have made it by dinner. Certainly before it was too late, but he doesn't. He, he, he stops and he stays somewhere for the night. Now, I don't know if he slept or not, but he's, he stopped. I just think that's evidence again. He believed the word that Christ spoke. Verse 51, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Now you imagine this, this whole incident from the point of view of those servants. Think about this. They, their master's son becomes sick to the point of death. And, and they watch helplessly as his fever just climbs and stays dangerously high. Lethally high. And they know that if something doesn't happen quickly that, that the boy is a goner. And they see their master in, in complete desperation. He just race out and, and bolt for, for Cana to find this Jesus. This one that can heal the sick. So they see him go, and, and yet the child's condition continues to deteriorate, and the, he's just getting worse after their master leaves, and they begin to lose all hope, and their hearts just break for their master. And, and, and then suddenly, and inexplicably, the fever breaks, and he improves quickly, and he gets up, and he has strength, and he's, he's fine, it's, he's gonna live, there's no more danger for him, just instantly. So they don't know how it happened, but they, they have got to get to their master. They don't want him to go another minute in anguish when now, and, and they want him to know that his son is alive. Again, they have no, no clue what's happened there in Canaan. And so they take off, and you can imagine the scene. They're coming from Capernaum up to Cana, and, and the master's coming down from Cana to Capernaum, and they meet in the middle, and as the master as the servants see their master in the distance, you can just, I could just picture this. Your son lives! He lives! He's alive! He's fine! And picture the, 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 the face of this father. Just relief and joy. It's just, he's he's got to be ecstatic. And then, it, and then it turns to more of a thoughtful face. He's, he's trying to put pieces together as he talks with the servants and there's no doubt they embrace and and <coughs> and he's putting the pieces together and he recognizes this relationship between the word of the servants and the word that Christ spoke 
So he's trying to put it together. Did Jesus speak as a prophet saying, go, your son lives. And so so he was just saying, it's okay, he's not going to die. He's going to get better and speaking some kind of prophetic word that he's, he's going to live. He's going to get better. Was it that or did Jesus actually miraculously, instantaneously heal his son? He doesn't know, but he's going to find out. And there's one way to find out. And so he asked these men, verse 52. So he asked them the very hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, they knew because it was so remarkable to them. At the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. There's no doubt. They, they have witnessed a miracle. And he truly believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we'll see, the son of God. And in some way, he again, he had already believed in in that crisis kind of faith and going to Jesus for help. And he believed the word of Jesus when he went in verse 50. But this belief is deeper. It's a more informed faith. It's a belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I mean, one of my goals that I've said from the outset of our study of John is that that as we work our way through the gospel of John, this is how I've been praying for myself. This is how I've been praying for you is that our faith our, our, that we would more and more deeply believe in Jesus. Now, for some of you, you've been exposed to Jesus, but you've not yet put your trust in Christ. And and as how I'm praying is that, that 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 you would that you would believe in His name and receive eternal life. But for all of us, for those that have trusted in Christ, we are children of God by faith. We need to believe more. We need to believe more in Him. Faith isn't static. It's not stagnant. It grows. It's to always be maturing and developing and, 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 and getting stronger. Our confidence in Jesus should be more today than it was yesterday. And it should be more tomorrow than it, than it is today. Always to be growing. And you just think of the disciples who are with Jesus watching this. With each of these miracles, with each of these signs, growing faith, confidence, Jesus, they do believe, but they need to believe more. And so as the object of their faith grows, as their view of Christ grows larger and larger and larger in their minds and their affections, so does our faith in Him need to grow. And it will grow. The longer we live, the more confident we are in Christ. And, and, and we get to see that faith confirmed over and over again. We all have stories. Just... Seeing how Christ has come through in our lives and in the lives of others. And that just strengthens faith. The word of Christ is the thing that grows in our faith. And, and, and the exercise of faith, it, it grows. It's like working out. And so we have all these things that, that grow. And so, um, so faith, it grows. It grows. And it should for all of us. Last thing I'd say about faith in Christ is that it becomes contagious. Into verse 53. And he himself believed and all his household so the official now this puts his personal trust in the lord he and his household become this household of faith don't you know there was a celebration when they got back home thanksgiving feast and rejoicing and this was the design of the sign it was to point to point this man and his family and his servants to jesus this, is, this was what it was about. And the greatest miracle in this story is not the healing of the son. 
The greatest miracle in the story is the new birth. This man believed and is born again and his family. I mean, the greatest, we, I don't know, I, mean, I don't want to assume, but just by the language, it's pretty good chance that his son also trusted and believed in Christ. The greatest thing that happened today, that day was not being spared from physical death. The greatest thing that happened to him was being rescued from eternal, eternal death. And, I mean, I, I believe, just based on what we see, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be with these, these brothers and sisters for eternity in heaven. We sang this earlier. I was writing it down right before I came up. And when Christ our King returns, we'll meet saints we've never known and forever will be amazed that you've made us your own. I mean, I think I will look forward to being amazed with this man. Christ has made us his own. Well, in conclusion, I promised you an illustration earlier, and I and I want to end on that. And it's not perfect by any means, and but I hope it will be be helpful. And what I'm just trying to show you is how what the relationship is, as we see, because we're going to see it over and over in John. What the relationship that faith has to signs um, that you have many many who witness the signs, and yet their faith in Christ, their faith in Christ is is not real. Because the object of faith is wrong. But others witnessed them, the signs, and they believed in his name and become, became children of God. And so the illustration is, imagine you're taking a cross-country road trip uh, uh, by car across the nation, coast to coast. And so as you're, as you're going along, you're driving along, I'm going to a little, some free promotion of a company that many of you work for. You start seeing Chick-fil-A billboards along the interstate. And they're hilarious. They always are. Uh, and and you and this are the, just this is imaginary. So just I mean imagine even more than you've ever seen before. Cows doing hilarious things and and animatronics and just everyone is unique and and they, they just get funnier the the further you go and more entertaining as you drive along the road. They eat more chicken and all of this. And so all along the way, different exits there are these signs pointing to Chick Fil A and they're all entertaining and they help break up the monotony of the trip and everybody's enjoying waiting for the next sign, next billboard. And so you you and all the other drivers on the interstate, you're seeing the same signs. But there's, but there's different responses. The first sign you see, it, it does entertain you. And, and, and yet, it also starts making you hungry. <laughs> see the word chicken, and I don't know, and some cow, I don't know. Well, some connection, you start, you start getting hungry. And so the next time you see one, yes, you laugh at it, and then you turn on your blinker and you check your blind spot and you move over and you exit. And you go and you find the restaurant and, and you, there you eat and you, you fill your belly. And so the, this impressive sign, it points you to food where you, again, you go there and you eat. That's what a sign is, that's what it's designed for. But, the, but there's other drivers. There are other drivers that they don't do that. They they see the signs and they pass sign after sign after sign, and they love the billboards. They think they're great, and 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 yet they never pull over, not once, and eat at Chick Fil A. They might even eat at Taco Bell. I mean, that's just worse than nothing. But uh, in my mind, and uh, so I don't think anybody works at Taco Bell. And if you do, I'm sorry. Uh, but they they believe that Chick Fil A is a great sign making company. 
They take pics of the signs and they post them on social media as they cruise down the road and they tell everybody about these signs and how wonderful they are. You've got to see these. This company is awesome. They are such great marketers. It's amazing. And yet still, they never eat. Never eat. And so at some point along the way, I'm guessing in Kansas, in my imaginary world here, the signs stop. The billboards are no more. And then some of the, some of the drivers, they start getting angry that the billboards have stopped. They, they start writing harsh tweets about Chick-fil-A and, and posting rants on YouTube about how awful this is that there are no more billboards. And then others though, they just kind of forget about it. They just forget about Chick-fil-A and, and their signs and they just quit watching or caring and they just go on driving down the highway. So everybody, Everybody sees the same billboards for the same company, but for some, they think the wrong thing about the company and see no reason to pull over. Because it's the signs to them that make the company so special. And yet for others, the billboard points them to the place where their hunger can be satisfied and they can be nourished. This is the connection. I think you probably see it already. But many people in Jesus' day saw his signs and were simply entertained by them. It broke the monotony of first century life in Palestine up. There was that. They believed that Jesus was a sign company. This miracle worker existed to give them a show that they wanted, to give them what they wanted in life. But when the signs stopped, they stopped believing. And even in their counterfeit faith. They didn't honor him. Some got angry. Others just kind of went on with life. But others exited. They turned in to Jesus after seeing his signs. Like this man in this household. And they believed and their hunger was satisfied. And they told others about him. So I just say that and say to you. What, what do you believe about Jesus? How, how do you view him? I said this earlier. But how, how are you going to treat this sign? Even what we looked at this morning. How are you going to, to treat this? What's your response going to be? Um, entertained by it? Annoyed by it? Just kind of go on with life? Forget it? Are you going to turn in? I mean, maybe for the first time. But, but even if you're a believer, just keep going back to Christ. Let this pointing you back to Him. Trusting Him more. Believing in Him more deeply. Putting more and more confidence in Christ. Are you pulling over? Well, this is for all of us. I just say the most well-known verse of Scripture that there is, John 3.16. We looked at this some weeks ago now. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so I, I pray that if you've not, if, if, you've, if you've been around church, you've seen You've seen the signs. You know, you know you've been exposed to Scripture, but you've never actually exited. If you've never really put your trust in Christ, you again, you may have grown up here, you may be just walking in the doors for the first time today. It does not matter. If you've not trusted in Christ, I urge you to do it today for the first time. Say, God, I I, I am a sinner. I've got nothing to bring. Uh, and maybe some crisis in my life. I'm helpless. I know no, nowhere else to turn. But I need, 
I need you. I know that you're the Son of God. You're my only hope. My Savior, my Lord, I trust you. Turn to Him. Cry out to Him. And, and, and know life. And life that you do not know now, you can know today. Eternal life. Everlasting, abundant life. Let me pray. Father, I do ask if there is one here who doesn't yet know Christ, hasn't trusted in Him, does not know this life that Jesus promises, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's a foreign thing to some maybe here today. I pray that by faith in Christ, they will, they will know that life, born again to a living hope in Jesus Christ. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that our faith would be strengthened, our confidence in Jesus would grow as we've witnessed this sign, as it were, recorded for us in this account. Help us to trust Jesus more today, tomorrow, the next day. To lean harder on Him. And we we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.